Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Real Organic Project is a farmer-led movement that provides an add-on certification held by over a 1,000 certified organic, family-owned operations across North America. Real Organic Project strives to uplift farms working within the spirit, not just the letter, of organic principles. Real Organic certified farmers use practices that are centered around the foundational organic principles of soil-based crop production and pasture-based livestock agriculture. To remain accessible to all types of farmers, Real Organic Project fundraises year-round to keep this certification available at no cost to farmers. You can apply today at realorganicproject.org forward slash thrivingfarmer. That is realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. The current application season ends soon, so be sure to apply today. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today, my guest is Stephen and Christine Bailey, who run the Kindred Farm on 17 acres in Santa Fe, Tennessee, where they raise vibrant produce, flowers, and bees in a sustainable way that heals the land. Christine is an author and podcaster, and Stephen is a chef, and they believe life is meant to be shared in community. From hosting long farm table dinners under the stars to offering cooking classes and handmade artisan goods in their farm store, they are always working to provide a place where people can come to be nourished and find connection in the land, in community, and around the table. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're glad to be here. So give us a little bit of um, background of how did you both get started farming? So we started a CSA cooperative back in 2009 in Dallas, Texas. So we were kind of one of the first movers to bring local organic foods to the Dallas Metroplex. We started with kind of a CSA model and that, um, you know, started with like 19 families back in 09. And that slowly grew from a little parking lot out of the, you know, trunk of a Volkswagen rabbit till... (laughs) We had uh, 2,300 families all over the Metroplex picking up at different drop locations, and we worked with about 40 farmers in Texas. And uh, by the time we got to about 2015, we had a little uh, organic market and restaurant. We had a little urban farm on a little quarter acre plot right there near downtown Dallas. Mm-hmm. And so we were we were on the that side of the whole farming world. And, and in 2015, we sold that entire company and business and uh, we moved to the Nashville area. So we uh, we found our farm at the end of 2016, December 16. Uh, and we found the 17 acres and uh, decided we were going to grow organically and 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 take inspiration from all the different farmers we worked with. Uh, one of my big mentors was Joel Salatin. Uh, we would do conferences together and, and we did a bunch of stuff when we were back in Dallas and mm. all that inspiration the farmers gave us, we just took all that energy and all that knowledge and we put it into our own farm. So uh, that was, you know, so 2017 was our first season to farm and figure the whole thing out. And here we are going into, I guess this is our seventh yeah, season. Seventh season. We plowed up our field. We, when we moved here, it was just a house. 
and yeah. that's it. So a 1949 farmhouse and then a big open blank field. So we plowed it up on the first day of spring 2017 and just started from scratch. And we ended up building a barn and adding some high tunnel hoop houses and just kind of expanding year by year. Very cool. All right. So you have a, the farm has got a couple different enterprises. So why don't you walk us through kind of like just an overview of like what's going on now, because you do a lot of classes and a bunch of things. Yeah, I would say, so I would say we've kind of gone through um, maybe three iterations. We're in the third <laughs> iteration. The first iteration was, you know, we got to break ground. We don't even know what we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. and so that's yep. like trying to it's all the struggles of how do we do irrigation and what what are we going to even try and do? And then the second kind of phase was, OK, we're going to try and, you know, um, we followed uh, Ray's method for lettuce and, um, you know, uh, 40A and the BCS tractor. And, and so we got into doing farmers markets and selling to restaurants and and grocery stores. So we did that for a minute and then. Um, as we started to dial it in, by the time we got to about 2019, we just realized that our gifts was were in hospitality mm -hmm. and bringing people to the farm to experience things. And so we really just dialed in that we love to farm and grow food that goes directly into the dinners and the events we have, plus the farm store and making goods for people. Mm -hmm. We kind of had that, we had that eye, that aha moment when we grew about you know, four or 500 pounds of heirloom tomatoes trying to sell it for $6 a pound. And we sold about 30 pounds of it. And then we turned the rest of it into really expensive tomato jam and sold out. And uh -huh. so that's when we said, you know what, this is really what we're good at and what we love and know. We know how to cook. We know how to create experiences. And so let's bring people to the farm and give them that experience. So, so we're in that third iteration of really dialing in like who we are as farmers and what we're trying to do here at Kindred. All right. So Stephen, you were a chef before you started back in a former life. Yep. I was a private chef back in Dallas. And then that became when we had urban acres, that became a restaurant and mm -hmm. I did farm to table restaurant consulting in Dallas. And then when we came here, our intention was to farm. And then I accidentally got back into chefing. And yeah. now that's a, a big thing I do. I do uh, private events and big farm to table dinners all over Middle Tennessee. Very cool. Um, all right. So then you have a farm store. I'm running down through your Facebook and trying to find pictures of it. Um, yeah, you can. It's on Instagram. If you go to the Kindred Farm Store hashtag, we have a lot of photos on there. But yeah, we started the farm store, I think it was spring 2018, okay. after we did kind of that first farming season. And, you know, it's a lot of work going to farmers markets. And Stephen, we had two small children and Stephen would be gone for like eight or nine hours a day. And, mm -hmm. and you didn't have a ton to show for it at the end. Um, but what's really neat about that first season and plugging into local farmers markets is we started to build our audience and we started to build a customer base. Mm -hmm. And we also started to see what people loved that we grew. Um, but, um, you know, what we decided was by bringing the farm store to our lands, um, that we could really cultivate that, that heart that we have behind everything we do here at Kindred, which is creating special experiences for people mm -hmm. and helping them to come and experience the land. Um, you know, and then it's a lot less time commitment and we can really pour into the people that are coming here and have 
you know, really great conversations with them. Like it's really like a gathering place for the community. And we love that. And we just do it every Saturday morning throughout the growing season. And then off, the off season, we're open once a month just to keep that touch point with the community. But mm-hmm. it's like a beautiful, beautiful thing. Every every time we're open, it's just amazing because the, of the conversations that happen between other customers and that that we get to, um, I don't know, just like really pour into the diversity of the community. And we love just bringing people out here. And it's a great way to bring together the farming with the communal aspect of Kindred. Mm-hmm. So the store is a little shed um, and uh, you set up inside and outside, it looks like. Well, we started setting up inside, but it grew so much that only a few people could fit in there at a time. Yeah. It was a little kind of this like cedar cabin that we had on our property. And then, you know, 2020 happened and everything kind of moved to outdoors. And mm. we started setting up just on tables on this little kind of concrete pad that we have outside under some beautiful trees on our land. And we loved it. And mm-hmm. we realized it actually felt just so much more welcoming and open and like kids could run around. We have some yeah. tree swings and we have this little area called the forest of fun on our property where kids can play. And so, I don't know, a little campfire area. It just felt so much better doing it out in the open. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do now. And, um, you know, if it rains on a Saturday, then we'll have a tent, but we still do it outside at this point. And we love mm-hmm. that. All right. So you mentioned, I think you set up some forest, mentioned that again, would you, about the kids forest? Yeah, we have a little area. We call it the forest of fun. Okay. Forest of fun. All right. That's yeah, what it and it's, yeah. it's great. Our, our girls, we have two daughters that are now nine and 12, but they still love playing there, but there's just tall pine trees. There's a Creek. Mm. And we have a bunch of tree swings and it's just a fun area for kids to go to when they come to the farm. That sounds like a lot of fun. I want to build either a willow like house for the kids um, or we just put in a bunch of bamboo. Um, Unfortunately, we put it in as a hedgerow and not like a circle because we did a circle, then it would turn into a little grove for the kids to play in. But um, yeah, no, that's, that is so key because one of the things is if you can keep the kids happy, the parents stay longer and spend more money. That is very, very true. And we do these really awesome cinnamon rolls every single Saturday at the farm store. And Steven developed that recipe Mm. way back in Dallas at our farmstead there. Um, and has kind of been perfecting that recipe over the last many years. We also do our perfect granola. There's a couple mm-hmm. of products that we are staple products that we have that we've done for like over 10 years, but the cinnamon yeah. rolls are always like kids love those. So yeah. That's always and, a good selling point. and you guys have a certified kitchen. It looks like. Yep. And then we're actually, we're about to enter what we would consider, I guess, our fourth phase of the farm where we're trying to build uh, a bigger barn with a newer, better commercial kitchen mm. and more more space for classes and the farm store and events and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So yeah, yeah. Cause we, uh, we started our farm store in 2021, 2021, 2022. We had the, we had an old transit bus and now we're actually oh. finishing out a 660 square foot retail store. Nice. Um, That's so awesome. yeah. And we'll be doing as soon as they finish that, they're going to turn around and just start in the certified kitchen. Um, Very cool. 
So yeah, it's been the last two months have been just nuts. <laughs> yeah, we get that. <laughs> we know that feeling. Yes. Um, so I see you're also growing some like hot peppers for sriracha. So you guys doing the whole range of things, which, you know, I, I think there's a couple different styles of farms out there. And so like Marsh Trivia's farm was that, you know, production farm. I mean, we produced hundred tons of winter production roots, carrots and beets and potatoes and stuff. And they went into storage. Um, but now our farm has switched more to way more to classes and prepared mm -hmm. foods. And, um, and that looks like what a lot of what you're doing is you're doing the flowers, prepared foods and education, because I think more now than ever, people need to learn where their food comes from and how they can get connected to their food. Absolutely. I mean, that was, that was the main goal and vision we had back in Dallas when we started doing this in 2007. Mm -hmm. And back then it was really cutting edge still like the local food movement, CSAs, supporting your local farmer, those were all pretty new at the time. Um, and so it was really cool to kind of be on the front, you know, the front side of that movement. But now I think it's still just as important. I mean, we want to constantly be connecting people back to where their food comes from and um, you know, connecting them to the land um, and just giving them the, the time and space to connect to that, to connect to creation. Um, and, you know, we do that through our farm dinners um, where we're growing a lot of the ingredients for our mm -hmm. dinners. And then they're getting to have that in a multiple course, amazing feast um, under the stars on the farm. And we're integrating lots of the ingredients that we grew and honeycomb from our bees that's being carved onto their sourdough. And so there's a lot mm. of ways that we kind of bring all of those facets of the farm together to, yeah, just to educate people and connect them. Like that's the main word that, that keeps mm -hmm. coming back. And that's in everything that we do is really creating connection for people. And it sounds like you're getting really good results. Cause like your dinner sounds like they're selling out in a day. Yeah, this last, our spring dinner, May 6th, will be our next big kindred dinner. And it, yeah, this is the first time it sold out in one day. Um, so wow. it's been really amazing. Just, and, you know, we've never, we've never advertised or done any kind of official marketing. It's all been word of mouth and just creating these, you know, memorable experiences for people. Mm -hmm. They naturally mm -hmm. want to share it with other people and come back again. And every single dinner, we have a pretty good mix of return people and mm -hmm, new people, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Very cool. So. Let's talk staffing. What kind of crew do you keep and how do you manage that? Yeah. So I would say, it, you know, it has varied, but like right now, um, you know, we've got obviously the two of us and then our two girls that help out on the farm with everything from daily chores. You know, we have a little seed starting house where we got a daily, you're, mm -hmm. we've been monitoring that over the last couple of months to get all the seeds in the ground and now we're full-fledged you know doing you know we have the whole model of uh you know no tilling we broad fork we have the bcs you know that's that market farming we, yeah. we market farm that's our model that we follow we use mm -hmm. landscape we use landscape fabric uh for weed barrier um and so we've got two girls that work on the farm as well but they it's splitting time so um, they, uh, work on the farm, but also work on the other aspects of kindred. So it's, I wouldn't say it's, you know, uh, a hundred percent, um, working, uh, the staff is working the farm or we're working the farm, 
because we're trying to, we're doing so many things, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's today we've been working and getting everything into the ground. And then tomorrow we've got to get ready for an event. And then Friday, we've got to be uh, getting ready for the farm store for Saturday, you know? So it's like yeah. a multi, everyone's kind of doing multiple different hats. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but for staffing for dinners, we do have a dedicated staff for that, you know, a serving staff and um, okay. a kitchen yep. staff. So that's a little bit different than the farm, but on the farm, we've got, it's all, it's our family. And then we have two girls that um, are awesome. That are staff. Yeah. They're, that are staff. And they also, you know, they're helping with the classes and social media and inventory mm -hmm. and everything else you can imagine. Very cool. Um, so then and let's talk marketing. What does your marketing look like to make this all happen? I mean, I, I would say we've got, you know, uh, marketing is both of our backgrounds. You know, Christine went to Belmont. I went to Baylor University and we both have marketing degrees. And I would say if there's one thing we've learned and have known really well, even before we got into the space of local organic foods is marketing. And so um, our philosophy with marketing is if you make it look beautiful, taste amazing, uh, and create an awesome experience, then it will naturally work out. So even in the beginning, uh, we, we nobody knew where Santa Fe was. And mm -hmm. uh, so we started to get people to come out to the farm store. We just said, why don't you come and visit us and we'll give you a free cinnamon roll. Um, and so we started off by just saying, come and get free cinnamon rolls. And then in the early days of trying to sell dinners, we could not, we begged people, right? We could not sell a ticket because yeah. nobody knew who we were. So what we, but we knew the experience was going to be great. So we poured a lot of money and time into the experience. And then we paid good money to bring in awesome photographers mm -hmm. to capture how beautiful the night was. And then everyone gets FOMO and sees these beautiful photos <laughs> and videos. And yeah, now everyone yeah. wants to come to the dinners. Yeah. And so we, we, we pride ourselves on giving away a lot in the beginning uh, and making sure everyone has an unbelievable experience. Mm -hmm. And then we, we just have a philosophy to surprise and delight always and go above and beyond and with just that attitude and spirit people are all people are always getting way more than they think they should get mm -hmm. and it just creates stories and it creates kind of this viral feel where people want to tell other people and when you create a space like that then the marketing kind of happens on its own because we haven't spent we put all our money for marketing there mm -hmm. uh, instead of actually pay, paying for like advertising and marketing Gotcha. So you just, cre you created a incredible superior experience and people just became your raving fans and told your story for you. Yeah. If you, if you give people a great story to tell, they will want to share it with their friends, period. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we just, whether it's the farm store on Saturday morning or 130 people under the stars with cooking everything by fire, we just make sure we give them a great story. And then people naturally want to tell their friends a great story. Mm -hmm. So I, I think sometimes as farmers, we forget to connect with people on that level mm -hmm. and give them a story to tell. So if we can give them a story to tell, they'll do it for you. Yeah. And also, I mean, we do intentionally post on social media and use that as a tool. Um, but that's another great word to integrate into that is story is that the way that we're posting is always trying to communicate the story of what is what, you know, the story behind your food and the story behind the experience and the connection to the land and really bringing people into that story. Mm -hmm. through everything that we post on social media and you know we write um 
newsletters to our email list and really pour into that base. And that's, you know, become even more and more valuable as the years have gone on. And we've seen that, you know, a email list is like gold compared mm-hmm. to social media, just because you're getting directly to your audience. And um, so we do put a lot of time into our email newsletter and telling stories through that and giving them special content, like special recipes and insider views. And um, they get, you know, first access to ticket sales before the general public. And with our uh, spring dinner, we sold out the entire dinner just to our email list this time. Wow. So we never even made it to Instagram. Um But I mean, so that's like one of the number one things I would tell any farmer is make sure you're building a solid email list from the beginning, for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah. We just broke 2000 on our email list, but I realized that we're not cross promoting our email list to our social media because we have like over Mm -hmm. 7,000 there, but, and I, but I realized I was like, so we have thousands of people that aren't on our, aren't on our email list and and we're losing out because we're not getting access to their inbox. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's where it's, uh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, I think that's where it's great to, you know, do some kind of a lead magnet where you're giving away like free recipes or, you know, a downloadable PDF or some kind of value for them to even sign up and take that extra step, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you do a lot of flowers too. And obviously, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to do flowers, but you put a lot of them into your pictures too. And I'm assuming that helps great brightness and fun and yeah. Yeah, then, we look. Oh, go ahead. And then you also do like these you pick flower days. Talk about that. Yes, we love flower farming is like my favorite thing now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just been beautiful. Um, I mean, I love growing zinnias, sunflowers, wildflowers. I'm, you know, branching out into some other flowers this year that I haven't grown before just for bouquets to kind of add some different elements to them. And I'm very much still learning, you know, how to farm flowers. Mm-hmm. But it's been so fun. And I feel like it's just a beautiful way to bring together, you know, everything we're doing as a regenerative farm is creating a healthy space for pollinators. And um, also, it's beautiful for someone to come to the farm and get to like meander through fields of wildflowers. Yeah. Um, so we're, you know, we're thinking of all of those elements and everything that we're planting here is how can it, you know, how can we sell it in a bouquet? How can it also help the ecosystem and how can it help create an experience? Um, and I think flowers really check all those boxes. Like we've had you pick um, a couple times a season. We'll have a you pick day at our farm store. We don't do mm-hmm. it every Saturday, but it's a really special time when we have that. And it's usually at the end of the season. And it's just awesome. Like just seeing people interact with the flowers. It's different than buying a bouquet. Um, giving people the opportunity to actually experience them hands-on is like one of my favorite things to see and to see how everyone puts together something totally different. Um, Mm -hmm. So we love that. And we've also done you pick at some of our farm dinners in the past. If the flowers are timed just right Mm -hmm. and it's good weather, Mm -hmm. we'll let our guests come and pick flowers before the dinner and take home some flowers. And so that's been really, really cool that, and take photos and, and things I like think, that. I also think that um, planting flowers is a simple, inexpensive tool that any farmer could use. If you have anyone coming to your farm, mm. a very, very simple thing. I, I mean, you could plant one row, 100 foot row that's close to the entrance of where people park and come to wherever you have them come. You yep. can do something as simple as just zinnias, which is very so little effort. So easy, very little effort. 
and the it's kind of the curb appeal that you would give people when they come to your farm. Yep. It's such an amazing experience. They will instantly, without even having to tell them, they will want to take photos of your farm yep. and then they will post it and then they will talk about it. So those are like simple things. And it doesn't require if, you know, if you're already doing any other kind of produce farming, it's to transition to planting one simple row of zinnias, yeah. the cost and the effort, it would be nothing for you. Yes. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And we do probably like six or eight different types. And I think it's like eight 50 foot beds and it's just That's a, awesome. yeah, it's just a fun little thing. It takes us about, you know, a morning to get them in the ground, some drip irrigation on them, and yeah. then just let just hand out scissors at the farm stand. Yeah. That's so, so perfect. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed that you sell tats, is that something you gave made custom and which company does that for you? Um, hats? No, no, tats. I think like tattoos. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Have you heard of tater tats? No, I have not. They're hilarious. We love them. I'm actually wearing one right now. Some Swiss <laughs> chard. Oh, Swiss chard. <laughs> but they're great. They're called tater tats. Okay. Um, but yeah, they have these variety packs that you can get. You can order all different kinds of things. You can order like, you know, just fruit tattoos or just vegetables or whatever, but we get the variety boxes. Um, and it's just another fun thing to have at the farm store. Like we're always thinking of like fun things kids can get as well. Uh-huh. So getting to get a little fruit or veggie tattoo is a fun thing to do on a farm, you know? Oh um, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And so there's like a, you know, it's a great little variety pack. It has like all different seasonal vegetables and, um, they have like a, I think they have a nonprofit element tater tats as far as they're giving back a portion of their proceeds. So they're a cool company. So I'm definitely yes. looking into that. Oh, apps. I'm on the website now. I'm going to send it to my office manager and say, go crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's that is, that's something that would, people would love for the store. It gives us a yeah. little, and uh, then the, when the kids go to school, they can talk about how they got the vegetable tattoo at the farm. Yes. Um, yes. Um, yeah. And stickers okay. are always, stickers are always super popular too. I mean, people love stickers. Like they just love putting stickers on their water bottles or whatever. So mm -hmm. we're always thinking of new designs for that and launching different ones. We'll be launching some new ones this spring too. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Let's talk about your book. Um, Cause that's yeah. actually the picture that I saw that in was the picture of you signing books. What, uh, what, what caused you to want to write a book? Mm. Well, I've been a writer for probably over 20 years now. That's um, I've done freelance writing, I've written for different blogs and my own, my own blog since 2005. So that's just, that's who I am. That's something that I always would be as a writer. But then the opportunity came a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was 2019 through a blog post that I wrote on another website um, caught the attention of a book editor. And they contacted me and asked me if I would consider writing a book about the way of life that we have here on the farm. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I yeah. always, always wanted to write a book. And so it just, you know, you hear about it falling in people's laps and it did in a way did fall in my lap, but it was also many, many years of investing um, into the writing side of my, you know, creativity. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally it, it caught someone's attention. And so, yeah, so my book is The Kindred Life um, and I, it launched uh, last spring. So last May, um, and it's it's been beautiful. It's, it's um, part, I like to say it's like part memoir and part inspiration guide for living a life of deeper connection right where you mm -hmm. are. So it has 10 recipes 
um, has tons and tons of colorful photos from the farm and then um, journaling prompts and, and questions to kind of make the themes your own. And yeah, just woven throughout that is my story. Um, it goes back to, you know, way before we were farmers, way before we even started our urban farm and even back to like my travels in India and Africa and mm. just kind of how this kindred way of living came to be for me and how it's accessible to anybody, no matter where they are. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I'm looking at the table of contents um, and just, and I love how you've woven the different recipes through there. Um, I'm interested in ice cream on the roof though. <laughs> I love that chapter. That chapter is about adventure. Um, I had a friend come visit the farm and we were working outside together. It was a friend from Texas and, um, it was just a super fun day of like bringing our kids into it. We were like planting things, throwing food mm. to the pigs and just having a fun day on the farm. And the end of the day, um, it was, you know, we're kind of all winding down and having some ice cream. And she was like, Hey, didn't you say that you guys sometimes go out on the roof? and look mm. at the stars. And I was like, yeah, we've done that. We have like this little overhang over our front porch that we can access through a window and we go out yeah. on the roof sometimes. And she's like, well, have you ever eaten ice cream on the roof? <laughs> and I was like, no, but we're going to do that right now. Yeah. Um, and it was just like this next level, beautiful experience. And that whole chapter is just about adding adventure to your everyday life. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be this big, like, you know, huge vacation or you know, trip to Disney World or like, you know, anything that big. It's the moments that are really memorable is when we can just add these elements of adventure into our everyday lives. Like just the other night, our girls, um, we, you know, Venus is so bright in the sky right now. And you can see Mars and Venus at the same time. And um, our daughters, you know, we're like, can we bring our sleeping bags outside and lay under the stars and look at the stars and like drink tea and and like we sleep out there for part of the night. And so it was mm. just like this impromptu adventure. Um, so that's kind of what I'm having, like helping people connect to in that particular chapter is just adding those elements into your everyday life. Those, mm -hmm. you know, where you can take an ordinary moment and just kind of make it kind of extraordinary. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. It's the little things and the little times you stop and, uh, yeah. and yeah, take that, that moment with the family. Yeah. Um, so then with your, your production, are you steering more and more of that production towards your prepared foods or is your prepared foods driven by what you have extra of your production? Yeah, no, we, our, our big thing with everything that we're producing now is all going towards food, things that we can make, mm. you know, so we, you know, we'll have some of leftover stuff that will sell like the raw tomato or the raw um, head of lettuce um, at the farm store. But the vast, vast majority of everything has been kind of earmarked to uh, either be stored for like, so for example, we will do, I don't know, two, 300 feet of butternut and winter squashes and then, then we will store them. And those are used through all the dinners and events from the fall, winter, going all, all during that time as a storage, mm -hmm. as an item. Um, and so then we're either pickling it, fermenting it. One of the big things we do is, you know, we'll grow 700 pounds of Napa cabbage and then make kimchi with all of it. Mm -hmm. So so our goal is to turn it into something. We've, we finally got ourselves a food dehydrator. So all the peppers... 
everything mm-hmm. like that will dehydrate and it'll go into seasonings and we'll sell the seasonings. So uh, pretty much 95%, I would say, of everything we're growing, we're growing it so that we can make something and mm-hmm. sell the something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or put yeah. it into a meal of some sort. Or, yeah, yeah. or put it into an event. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We now do a couple different um, salad dressings on the farm. Ooh. That's awesome. Nice. And, uh, you know, I, I always say this, I'm blown away, but people will pay a dollar an ounce for salad dressing. Mm. Um, yeah, they, the, the amount, uh, the, you know, if you know how to make something and you enjoy making it, that's kind of been the big discovery we've had is we love doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, for us to focus on it is great. I, I tell people all the time when you're getting into farming is just find the area. There's a hundred different lanes for farming. You have to find the lane that you love the most and then mm-hmm. find the best way to make that profitable. And for us, we love cooking. We love hospitality. And, um, you know, for us, the, the, the you talk about a dollar an ounce. Uh, people will pay extra for convenience. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Even though the recipe, we give them the recipe for the dressing. They, yeah, I uh, I they still, yeah. The amount we go through just blows my mind. Um, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Are you building like your herbs into it? Is it like an olive oil based dressing? Um, so we do a couple ones. We do a ranch and then a dairy free ranch and we do put our own herbs into those that we cool. dry. Um, but then we do a fire cider dressing, which actually has, is selling out selling both of them. And that's our own fire cider. And then, um, yeah, it's just an oil based. So, um, yeah, that's really neat. Joining me is Ariel from the real organic project. Ariel, welcome. Thank you. So Ariel, tell us a little bit about what the real organic project stands for. Yeah. So the real organic project is a farmer led nonprofit uh, that manages an add on certification for certified organic. And the whole idea is we want to give farmers that are doing things the right way within the spirit of the rules a way to differentiate themselves from some of the corporate organic on supermarket shelves that only meets the most cynical definition of something that would actually be organic. So what that means is we're only working with farms that are growing their crops in healthy, biologically active soil, as opposed to growing hydroponically. And we're only working with farms that are raising their animals with real access to the outdoor and pastures, as opposed to these confinement operations, which again, unfortunately, are dominating the organic sections of many of our supermarkets. But Michael, I know you're actually interested in potentially pursuing real organic project certification for your farm. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about why why that's of interest to you? Yeah, I've always been a big proponent of the real organic project because they stand for what I stand for. You know, the feeling about putting the organic back in the ecosystem of the farm. I mean, the problem when you have this corporate organic is that it's been watered down to lowest common denominator. You know, frequently there's more plastic than plants in some of these systems. Um, Real organic is more about caring about those who care about the soil. And, um, you know, going back to that original idea of why we farm organically, which is, you know, we want the birds to be singing in the background and the, the soil to be alive and the earthworms. And when you look at some of these corporate organic, it's just as sterile as um, the conventional farms that we're competing with. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really well put. And I think what we really want to do is find a way to uplift and differentiate the folks that are genuinely doing things the right way for the right reasons and not just finding the simplest, easiest way to check a bunch of boxes. 
Mm, absolutely. And if folks want to find out more about the Real Organic Project, you can go to realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. That's realorganicproject.org forward slash thriving farmer. So talk to us about kind of like the journey over the last, uh, you think you said seven years is when you started this new farm? Yeah. What, uh, you know, going into it, I think you said you weren't quite sure. So you've had a couple different iterations. How do you know when to pivot? Like, what does that look like for you? Are you constantly sitting down and reevaluating your goals? What does that process look like? I mean, I think when, I think the, the, the deciding factor on when to pivot is when the numbers aren't working. So, you know, mm -hmm. we all, we kind of, we, we live and die by the profit and we ask ourselves, is this profitable? And it is, it is probably, you know, I think farmers struggle uh, because if you're farming, you're doing it because you're passionate about it. Mm. And the problem with passion endeavors is you sometimes forget to pay attention to the profits because you, you're so passionate that the cause happens that you forget to follow the numbers. But th the reality is numbers don't lie. Your mm -hmm. profits will never lie to how your business is doing. And so we've had to make hard decisions. For example, we have done the multiple seasons of over 100 laying hens and the bobcat kills all of them type of mm. scenario. And yeah. you're, just, you're just struggling to deal with it. And then you finally go, okay, well, we're definitely paying <laughs> our customers to take these eggs. Like the numbers yeah. are telling us that. Yeah. Yes. And so at yes. some point we, we can't, we, and then there's the classic line of, but it's a loss leader because people will buy the eggs and then they'll want to buy all the other things. But if you actually look at the numbers, it's like, man, we've get, they've got to buy a lot of other things uh -huh. before the eggs pay for themselves. Uh -huh. So that's, I think the numbers and the profits will tell you when you need to pivot. Uh -huh. And I also think asking, your, asking yourself the question, are you enjoying this and do you love it? Because uh -huh. sometimes farmers will just like die on that sword and they will like take themselves to the nth degree. And it's like, they won't stop doing something um, and pivot because they feel like they have to like grind it out for another 75 hours a week to make a hundred dollars. And I think those markers have helped us through all the different pivots and changes we've made to find a place where we're profitable. And I don't care what anyone says, when you start to become profitable, that's the best kind of farming. Mm -hmm. Cause then you can enjoy it. And then, you know, it, 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 the, the stress level decreases uh, 20 yeah. fold. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, and then you can then after you're profitable, do the fun things that you don't have to make money on. I just think mm -hmm. that we sometimes as farmers start with the things that don't make money, and then we scramble to pay the bills. And I think we have to focus first on being profitable. And then after mm -hmm. you're profitable, do the fun things that don't necessarily make the money. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what was one fun thing that you didn't think was going to pay the bills, but ended up actually paying the bills? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. That is a great question. I don't think we grasped how big uh, the events, dinners, classes, farm store, just the experiential part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think we even kind of thought it would be that big. Yeah. I mean, and, and recently we've added classes. And we did tons of classes in Dallas at our farmstead there. We did, you know, knife skills classes, kombucha making, all different Sausage things. Sausage making. Sausage making, um, kimchi probably you did. 
but we haven't haven't added that into our model here yet. And we've just launched our first few artisan pizza classes. Mm, I um, saw where they can pictures. learn how to make yeah. yeah, they can learn how to make artisan pizza with Steven on our pizza ovens. And it's like exploded. Like they sold out so fast. We could probably add two or three more. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think people are really hungry for that. So that's in a way a little bit surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that we want to continue, at, you know, expanding and adding more of because I think it's something people really want and need right now. Yeah. What's the price point range for your classes? Uh, those are $75 a person for the pizza classes, but you know, and, the, I guess every class will be different depending. Yeah. On- and I think, I think we'll have more advanced or more intensive classes that will get up into the like 150, 200 range. Gotcha. Okay. So the, for the $75, it's about a mm-hmm. two hour class. Yep. And it's a beginner class. They get to eat pizza the whole time. <laughs> okay. Um, what else? They learn the basics of making their own dough. They go home with a dough recipe. They went home with a sauce recipe um yeah Yeah, very very basic you get the recipes we have a good time it's a small group of 16 people so everyone's getting to know each other um and at that level on a very base level really what people are wanting is they want to go out and experience and have a fun time eat something Mm -hmm. and they're beyond happy and i think uh the we'll we'll then do some maybe more advanced level stuff to where it's maybe a little bit longer time frame way more intensive like learning and mm-hmm. like time, trying to drill down on like very specifics but for like an entry level class $75 people really just want to get out and mm-hmm. have kind of a small dining experience you know they want to eat something and uh i think a class like that you could it could be a pizza making class, or it could also be like jam making and eating it on sourdough bread. I, I think farmers could incorporate mm-hmm. a, a base level class on so many levels, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think it even needs to be this like super polished thing. I think people really just want the experience. Yeah. We did it in the high tunnel. We did it in the greenhouse. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. We're putting up a new 36 by 112 high tunnel and the first 30 yeah. feet are going to be grass. Uh, it's going to basically be lawn and Ooh. we're going to keep it, reserve it for, I mean, in the wintertime, we're going to probably put a kiddie pool in there and some deck chairs. Um, but in this, but we are going to put shade cloth over it and basically be a space that we can use. That's um, a great idea. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The rest of the tunnel will be ginger and turmeric. So uh, that cool. requires shade anyway. So um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, um, I saw that, that pizza class. So my wife started doing sourdough classes and, um, and then I do the gardening classes. And so Saturday, Saturday, we were like, well, my class was full and, uh, you know, she was like, well, my class made more money. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Sourdough classes are hugely popular around here. Um, there's lots of different farms offering those. Yeah. And, um, it's a, I mean, it's a great way to bring in some serious cash flow, especially I think late winter, early spring, when people are kind of cooped up inside and they just desperately want something to do. Yeah. I mean, classes are great because like the overhead, there's just not a lot of cost to it. Yeah. 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 And my wife now has, you know, her specific SOPs for the class. So, okay. At this time I need to do this, but, 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 and uh, so we j- it's, it's gotten a lot more streamlined. She does have an assistant, which helps her with it, which is, mm. she says is helpful. Um, but right now, because we have very small space, it's happening in our kitchen, which is 
not ideal because our kitchen's not, it's pretty small. Um, yeah. But yeah. So with that class aspect of things, what have you discovered? Um, like, is there a magic formula for the class or you just say, try it and see what people go for? Uh, well, so we've had, we've had a lot of experience with doing classes. Like mm -hmm. Christine said, uh, yeah. back in Dallas, we did a lot of different classes. I, I would say the sweet spot on the beginner level is that at, at the heart of what the person wants, the customer just wants a fun night or mm. they want a fun afternoon. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes as the, the teacher or the class provider, we're thinking that they've got to walk away being perfect pizza makers or perfect sourdough makers. And really they're interested in it. But in two hours, you can't perfect anything. So really mm -hmm. what you need to focus on is them having a really good time. Mm -hmm. And so having like elements of them getting to do something they've never done, mm -hmm. eat something they've never eaten, um, and, and interact with people that they wouldn't normally interact with, that creates this fun experience. And then I think focusing so much on, oh my goodness, I have to teach them all the basics of X, Y, and Z in two mm. hours. I mean, that's just not happening. They're going to forget yeah. most of it. So yeah. I just think what the sweet spot is just focusing a lot of attention on how much fun it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the fun is the key. So that's important in the marketing. And one thing that we've had and it only happened one time, but we had one person who was probably too advanced for the class and spent the entire time critiquing the technique, um, which didn't work out too well. But I, have you had that? And have you had any success with how to handle that? So uh, even in the pizza class, I literally start out of the gate telling them, so this is beginner levels. We are going to have an advanced class. So I almost set the expectation out of the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. this is not advanced. We're not going to drill down into the fermentation techniques of the pizza dough and everything. We're just going to have a good. So like in the beginning, when you said it like that, then you say tonight it's, well, let's eat some good pizza. Let's have a good time. You guys are going to get to practice doing different things with the dough and how to top and how to use the outdoor ovens. And then um, if any of you guys are interested, we're going to have advanced classes where you're going to learn very, you know, specific techniques for X, Y, and Z. And that sets a good expectation, right? High expectations lead to much frustration. So if someone comes in thinking that they're going to learn all the fermentation techniques of the pizza dough, and then you don't do it, that makes them highly frustrated. Mm -hmm. So we try and bring the expectations mm. to the right spot and then also allow people that are looking for future things. And so we, I actually even had a couple of people in the first class kind of say, oh, this was so great. And I'm very much looking forward to the advanced class. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, something I think you said there too would be helpful to up front say, hey, there's a bunch of different ways this can be done. This is the way we do it that I'm going to show you today. So you may have heard right. differently, but we're not going to really go into that. Yeah. I mean, I know you know this, but it's like teaching someone how to grow tomatoes. Mm -hmm. There's a hundred ways. And so I think you have to start by saying, this is my way to grow tomatoes. You know, mm -hmm. and everyone has their trick, their way, how they trellis, how they prune, how they amend, how they, everyone has their way. And so, um, you know, I say that like when I'm teaching a knife skills class and like how to cut an onion, everyone cuts an onion differently. Here's mm -hmm. how I cut the onion, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And I think it helps to set those expectations on the front end, even before the class, like that goes into your marketing of the class itself. Yeah. 
you know, and the ticket page and everything. Like I'm really thinking through all those details when we're setting up something is communicating those things on the front end in your marketing of what's the class going to be like having a very clear, like FAQ that people can read through things like that. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. If you, if you make it more of an experiential thing, you'll probably have less of that than if you set it up as like, this is a technical class, mm-hmm. you know, then it's kind of opening it up for a little bit more of that critique, but and you might just get that. Sometimes just you get people that do things like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. part of it. <laughs> yeah. That and the person that just wants to explain everything multi- yeah. in, in great detail. So is the but I think that's rare. Yeah. I think that's rare. I think you're, you know, you know, if you set it up the right way, you're just going to get people that want to learn and they want to have fun and they want to be on the farm, you know, and that's what you mm-hmm. can offer them. Very cool. What advice would you have for people that are just starting to dip their toes into farming? I mean, my, my biggest, if there was one thing we could change from the beginning is I actually wish we would have saved up a little bit more money Mm. and been able to not have to piecemeal every single thing together. Like that was, that was a very, that was a struggling thing. I almost wish we would have figured out how to have regular jobs and save some more and then go in versus start farming not have enough money piece it all together then realize you don't have money so you have to go get jobs like i i I wish we would have done it the other way because so much in like i would honestly say the first three years you just don't know what you don't know and you don't know your land yet and you don't know there's so many variables that's that's the most like um I don't want to say depressing thing, but it's the most defeating thing about farming is there are so many variables that change all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just, even if you read all the books and all the videos, it just takes time before you figure all those things out. And so, uh, and so we piecemealed a lot of things together and still to this day, we're fighting like, why did we build the barn that way? Or why did we do irrigation that way? Mm -hmm. Or why didn't we, why didn't we, Uh, we're constantly the way we spaced out roads and the field and there are so many things in the beginning we were just like yeah we did not know what we were doing yeah (laughs) yeah um I mean I think the other thing I would say that we've talked about a lot is not I think a lot of farmers are super excited at the beginning and they have this Mm -hmm. huge list of things they want to do like they're going to do flowers and produce and they're going to have events and they're going to have you pick and they're going to have animals And it's like, you just, if you start out with that list of all those things you're going to do at the beginning, it is going to be really hard to succeed. Yeah. I mean, Joel Salatin told me like, there's just, there's very few people who uh, do animal husbandry and produce farming because of how different they are and how difficult they are. And then of course I I, like an idiot was like, well, we can do both of them. And (laughs) man, it is just, it's not, it's like, it's just two completely different things. And I think if I could have changed something, I wish in the beginning, we would have just focused on produce and then nailed it down. And then four years in, we say, let's try some chickens. But instead Mm. we tried every literally yeah. everything and i think because people have this like romantic view of farming at the beginning and they want their land to feel like a farm you know like you mm-hmm. want to have the animals and and the flowers and the produce and all of that together but it just takes time to really learn what you're doing first and um it's really really challenging if you try to do everything from the beginning um so we've just 
you know, over the years learned, like, he, like Steven said earlier, what our lane is and just doing a few things really, really, really well, rather than trying to do everything. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I think that is the number. I think that's a huge thing that so many people do not realize. Um, and the other thing is like, even like growing like 30 or 40 different vegetables. I mean, and, and back yeah. in New York, we grew, gosh, I think we're about 50 or 60 easily because we're doing wow. the, the, yeah, everything from arugula to zucchini. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that, you know, if you look at a lot of commercial large scale farms, they do just a couple crops typically. Yep. Yep. And a it, couple things. Well, yeah. Yes, exactly. So even in that, I mean, much less trying to do animals and then maybe you're and animals, you're doing ducks and goats and some cows. Um, and then in, you're doing some flowers and some vegetables. We're pretty diverse here. We actually are this year doing some medicinal herbs for some salves and that sort of thing, which probably was too much to bite off, but, um, yeah, we're, we're biting off way too much this year, but, um, <laughs> We get uh, that too. <laughs> yes. I, there's just so many opportunities. <laughs> yeah. And it's fun. I mean, a lot of it is really fun. Like it's fun yeah. to want to add medicinal herbs and, you know, and, but I think that it's true. Like if you add too much at the beginning, then that makes it even harder to succeed. Um, yes. But on the other hand, I will say that our first year of farming, we, I think we grew like 40 something different varieties of vegetables. And the thing that it did help us do was hone in on like, what did we enjoy growing? Mm-hmm. and what works well here and it kind of helped us eliminate things that didn't work so i will say that was helpful i mean we mm-hmm. don't even attempt to grow you know half the things that we grew our first year correct yeah so sometimes and you know i would say at that point you keep your day jobs and the first year or two yeah. just go crazy grow a whole yeah. bunch of stuff see what you like see what you don't and it's an experimentation or yeah. you can choose to save a whole bunch of money quit your day jobs and maybe only start with what you know you can make money on. But I think the slowly easing into it with keeping your day jobs and mm-hmm. keeping the low stress, because when you, yes. when you, when you, the main, a huge stressor is money. And if you don't have that good cash flow coming in, you're going to freak out and you can cause all sorts of challenges. Yep. And farming is so physically taxing that it adds that element of stress too, you know? Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. so you're adding that you're just so tired and it's so hard. Yes. (laughs) Probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life. And then you're adding financial stressors. So yeah, that's a, that's a hard combination. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, what is your favorite tools on the farm? So we both love the homie tool, which is a Korean hand tool. Okay. Um, Yeah. I plant everything with the homie, everything I hand plant. I use that. Okay. Um, And where can you buy that? Um, gosh, does Johnny sell it? I want to say Johnny's has a version. It's, it's like a little hand tool that it kind of has like, um, a triangular spade looking end, but it's like really curved. Mm. Uh, you've probably, some people are probably familiar with like the Cobra tool, but a homie tool is the same kind of shape, but in the Cobra tool has like a, maybe a small little one to two inch little end where the homie tool has like a like six inch blade six inch blade that's a big triangle like leaf looking yeah um it's it's a korean so we got his his mom um steven's mom is um from south korea and she um i think she got them in south korea yeah um but you can buy them here i think johnny sells them but it's my absolute favorite tool for hand planting um it's perfect for planting in the landscape fabric holes because you Mm -hmm. can just like get this perfect deep hole 
and then you can pull it back, put the plant in, and I don't. Yeah, it's I like, just a, love it's it. like a really sharp dibbler, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And no, then I love. Uh, I you know I've always loved the BCS. I, I couldn't imagine doing most of what we do without a BCS and all the implements. And then I would say the last two Tilter. seasons we've used the Tilter, and that's been a game changer on how we prep beds, and we love. I that love too. the Tilter. Okay. All right. Very cool. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing it in Johnny's catalog, but the problem is they just have so much that half of it doesn't sometimes make I it. I would in. say people could Google. Yeah, just Google if you Googled it. Korean hand tool, that little hand that little garden spade looking tool will come up. And there's a lot of versions. There's like skinny blades, there's thicker ones. There's all yeah, I like kinds. the I like the thin, narrow one. That's my favorite. I use that for everything pretty much. Yeah, actually if you yeah, Google Korean hand tool brands and the top. Uh, it gives you like three different versions. They call it okay. ham plow, homie. Yep. And that's spelled H-O-M-I. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And cool. it's really great for weeding as well. I've even pulled up sod grass with it. <laughs> and it was yeah. the only thing that could pull up the sod because it gets so deep under there and the blade mm -hmm. is so sharp mm -hmm. that I don't know. There's so many things you can use. Yeah. It's like hacked away at like crazy crap you know my favorite grass my favorite thing to do with the homie tool is to remove staples from the landscape fabric oh my gosh yes because you okay. know how sometimes if if that staple has been in there all season yeah you mm -hmm. know how impossible it is to get out of there so oh, you yeah. can that the tip of the homie tool will go right in mm -hmm. and then almost like you're removing a nail with a hammer you just leverage back and that thing pops right out Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, I mean, it will change because trying to get that without ripping landscape fabric, yeah, off, yeah, it's yeah. like such a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm on Amazon ordering some of these because actually they're on there Amazon you too. You should. Um, and I can see how that would be great for transplanting. And uh, yeah. 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 And uh, I do agree with you. The BCS is on another level. Um, we would actually at the point where we're ready to ditch our big five foot tiller and just move back to a BCS. Yeah, it's um, great. And I love that yeah. like anybody that works on the farm can use it and manage it as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Way safer than the previous. Uh, we had an old Goldoni, which we got 2004. Um, wow. There's no safety, safety uh, at all, features at all, pretty much. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. I, I'm the only guy that can use it. And I literally have... Yeah, I've almost killed myself with that thing. So, um, but uh, it, it does till. But yeah, the BCS and the um, depth control tiller on the back there—that is that is the that works really well. Well, I don't want to keep you guys too long. Um, I actually have, I'm sure, a team out there that are asking what to do. So I better get back outside too. But I appreciate your time today. It was fabulous to have you both on the podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks for, so much for sharing your story. Thank you for yeah, having us, Michael. So it was awesome. All right. You guys have a great rest of your day. Okay. Bye. Bye. Real Organic Project is a farmer-led movement that provides an add-on certification held by over a thousand certified organic family-owned operations across North America. Real Organic Project strives to uplift farms working within the spirit, not just the letter of organic principles. Real Organic Certified Farmers use practices that are centered around the foundational organic principles of soil-based crop production and pasture-based livestock agriculture. To remain accessible to all types of farmers, Real Organic Project fundraises year-round to keep this certification available at no cost to farmers. You can apply today at realorganicproject.org forward slash thrivingfarmer. That is realorganicproject.org forward slash 
thriving farmer. The current application season ends soon, so be sure to apply today. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.